is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 220 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to my work wife, Helen Scheura, all about how to launch a successful series. But first, to comments on last week's episode, which was with Holger and Sassy Cassie, author Sassy Cassie on Instagram said, great interview. And Holger said, it was an honor to be a guest on your show. So much fun. So thank you both so much. If you would like to leave a comment, please do. Instagram is probably the best place to put them. Uh, and we always we will always read out the comments. So in personal news and updates then, <laughs> I have had a week. <laughs> like a real week. So first of all, I put my neck out really badly. So I do see a chiropractor pretty regularly. I had a car accident when I was, I don't know, 20, 21. I was stationary and somebody hit me from behind. Um, and as a result, I have had chronic neck problems uh, because of a severe whiplash uh, over the years. I see a chiropractor and um, I, I manage to be pain-free for about three to four months, depending on what I do. Uh, I'm sure if I threw less heavy things around the gym, I'd probably be in pain. I'd probably be pain-free for a lot longer, but uh, such is life. Anyway... I put my neck out so badly this time that I had to go to the doctors to ask for the really heavy duty painkillers because, or muscle, muscle relaxants, I should say, because I just couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't raise my arms up. I couldn't do anything. So I've been in quite significant pain this week. On top of that, I had a little crunch in my car. <laughs> Oh, it's been so, like it was a very, very, very small accident. Uh, so much so, I the only damage was like a crack on my number plate. Like literally, that was it. Um, not the point. It was still frustrating. And then my phone broke. So I feel like uh, those were my three things. You know, hopefully it's all done. Everybody's fine. I'm seeing the chiropractor tomorrow. So I'm hoping then uh, that I can stop taking the pain or the muscle relaxants anyway. Um, so yeah, it has been quite <laughs> the week. That said, some good stuff has happened too. The first thing that's happened is that I unblocked myself on the book and I am now really racing through uh, writing it. So I'm really hoping to still be able to finish it before Christmas. Um, this is the first book in the new series. It's sort of not turning out to be the story that I thought it was, but I think it's turning out to be a really good story, possibly better than I anticipated, but in a different way. You know, sometimes how these stories sort of get their own lives and they not lives like they 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 just come alive themselves you know you you go out to write a particular story and then it just turns into this magical feral beast that is not at all what you expected but like in the best way possible i feel like this is what's happened so i might try and write the story i wanted to write um I don't know, some other time in the future. The other exciting thing that's happened is I now know what the next series is going to be. Like, I've been really worried that I wouldn't, like, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else ever gets this, but when you're sort of balls deep in, in a series and world building, you just can't see anything else and you worry that, like, that's it. You'll never have another idea. Uh, but I have just come up with uh, the idea for a new series. So I now get to um, buy all the books, much to my wife's <laughs> dismay. So I'm going to be uh, looking for particular recommendations. I'll probably uh, put it on Instagram, asking for Rex. So... 
uh, like in and around the theme of what I'm going to do. So that's exciting for me too. Um, and last but by no means least, something that is relevant for you guys. So I have finally, finally settled on what I am going to do next year in terms of all these courses. And I'm so fucking excited. Finally. So I think I mentioned this once before that one of the big things that I took away from Vegas is that I really love seeing faces. And some of my resistance to doing courses, um, like pre-recorded ones, is that I couldn't see you. I couldn't get your interaction. Like, I love the feedback. I love hearing your thoughts. I love seeing your faces react when I teach classes. And so it makes sense to me then that that is what I should be doing. So I am running, going to be running at least three live webinars next year, maybe four. If I can stretch to one a quarter, I'm going to, but for sure I'm going to do three. Um, and the very first one is going to be called Pros in the Market. So this is all about uh, writing to market, but the craft elements. Writing to mar market isn't new, but usually when teachers talk about it, they focus on like understanding the marketing, advertising, brand and pitch. But that leaves a really big gap. What about the craft and writing uh, the craft of writing to market, you know? What about the actual words that you're supposed to put on the page? So if you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers want, then this is the webinar and workshop for you. In this session, I'm going to be explaining how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you find, an easy three-step methodology for deconstruction, practical examples of deconstruction and implementation in your own work, why you're not using copywriting enough and where you should be using it, how to intentionally slip TikTokable and marketable scenes into your novels that will hook readers. I will also show you how I do my own research on TikTok. Um, uh, the craft of tropes as well. We'll talk a little bit about tropes and how you can uh, pre-plan and put those into your stories so that you can then use them in your marketing. And of course, we'll do live deconstruction uh, using examples in the session as well. You will also receive a workbook containing exercises for you to implement all of the things that you learn during the session. So if this sounds like something that you would like to participate in, I am going to be running three sessions over the course of one weekend at different times. And that's to accommodate um, enough time zones. So what it, this is going to be on Friday the 9th of February, Saturday the 10th of February 2024. Uh, and for those in Australia, New Zealand, I think it will be the mornings of Sunday uh, it will be the mornings of Saturday, the 10th, and the morning of Sunday, the 11th, I think. However, I've put all of the time zone information into the show notes, and I've also put links where you can go and uh, sign up to the event. The uh, If you are a patron, you will get a discount, and that information has gone out in Patreon uh, with the discount code. So uh, just as a quick FAQ, there are limited seats. I am only doing uh, limited seats for this. It will not be resold. So yes, the session will be recorded, but the session will only be recorded for those people who want to attend and for whatever reason can't attend at that time. So um, if you want the session, uh, but you can't make it, you will need to sign up because I won't be reselling this. 
Uh, will I do this session again in the future? I don't know. Depends what the appetite is like. So yeah, it is uh, limited only, uh, limited seats as well. There is a cap on the seats. Uh, but if you uh, buy a ticket and you can't attend, you will get the recording uh, later. And the best bit is that I really, really love interaction. So if you have questions for me, uh, then now is the time to join this webinar and come and ask me, come and just spend some time with me uh, and we can learn together and we can geek out about prose, craft, writing uh, and creating the writing for the market and also pumping that marketing into your prose in advance. So yeah, join me for that. I'm super, super excited. Okay, so a couple more updates. Tonight, as I record this, it is the Wednesday the 6th of December. I'm going to be teaching the Dark Academia uh, Patreon Masterclass. The next Masterclass that we do is going to be all about hitting Amazon number one. So we are going to be taking a traditionally published book and we are going to be taking an indie published book, both that have hit number one on Amazon. And what we are going to be doing is deconstructing both the book, the craft, the marketing, the tropes, and looking at the author platform and if we can, deconstructing some of the, I guess, like marketing and advertising methods that they have done and looking at all of that. So it's going to be a little bit different this next class. Usually we focus on the contents of the book, but we, and we are going to be doing that, but we're going to be doing it in a slightly different way where we also place some uh, uh, importance on, yeah, the, the brand, the pitch, the package, the marketing, and, you know, perhaps looking at potentially what helped it get to number one. So I'm actually really excited about that as well. Also, because I'm like number one competition. So this is going to fill me with energy pennies and hopefully you can uh, uh, get high off of my enthusiasm for people who've hit number one in the store. So if you if you want to join in for that, you'll need to join up to Patreon sooner rather than later. Okay, the rebel of the week this week is Carrie H. Carrie says, I'm the mum of an adorable mini rebel. She's four years old and is my world. However, as any parent will agree, it is exhausting. Oh yes, it is. Especially since she has special needs due to being premature and having some developmental delays. So extra appointments to speech and physical therapy, along with any doctors on top of chasing her after her and balancing my writing business housework and gasp spending an occasional evening with my husband so over the summer I had the opportunity to take two trips one to Chicago to see some of my writing friends for the first time in real life we went in the middle of August and had an absolute blast then in September I went to the renaissance fair with my best friend and her husband and daughters also had an amazing time. At the beginning of October, my cousin got married in Las Vegas. Hubby and I got invited, but I knew we couldn't swing it. The ceremony was on a Thursday and factoring in childcare, and he couldn't take time off with work uh, because of two big projects that are due by the end of the year. He's a draftsman at an architecture firm. A couple of days before the wedding, Mini Rebel and I were visiting my mum like we do every week. She was talking all about the family members flying out to Vegas. I would have liked to have gone with you and your sister. That would have been a lot of fun. I asked her why she never said anything about it. We could maybe have worked something out. No, I didn't want to take you away from Mini Rebel any more than you were already doing. This had me stewing, but I couldn't say anything or it would cause a bigger argument. Ever since I had my kiddo, she's not been as supportive as my writing. She hates when I go to my Ren Fair trips. Basically, I'm expected to be in mum mode only. My friends say it's one of those generational cycles and she either doesn't get it or resents my taking breaks for my mental health so that I can come back and be a better mother and wife once I've refreshed. Anyway, the following week, we go for our usual visit and guess what? A good chunk of the family who went to Vegas came home with COVID. 
<laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I felt bad and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But at the same time, it took everything in me not to say, hey, mum, guess where I didn't get COVID? Chicago and the fucking Ren Faire. <laughs> But that would have caused a huge fight that I don't think I could handle. Oh, I love this so much. I think that is absolutely hilarious. Like, at least you got your comeuppance, you know? If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. And we are always in need of stories. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and a huge thank you to Audrea Martin. I'm very, very grateful for joining me on Patreon. A big thank you to my existing patrons as well, who will be getting the, uh, well, some of the patrons will be getting the uh, Dark Academia Masterclass this evening. And for the rest of you, we've got Poison and Prose Christmas Bonanza in December and, uh, and looking at all of our goals for next year and what we've achieved this year. So if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content from as little as $2 a month, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today we have my fave, we have my work wife, Helen Scheurer. Helen is the fantasy author of the best-selling series, The Oromir Chronicles, The Curse of the Siren Queen, and The Legends of Thesmar. Her work has been highly praised for its strong, flawed female characters and its action-packed plots. She also publishes advice for authors with her non-fiction series, Books for Career Authors. Helen's love of writing and books led her to pursue a creative writing degree and a master's of publishing. She has been full, a full-time author since 2018 and now lives amidst the mountains in New Zealand where she is constantly dreaming up new stories. Hello, darling. Hello. <laughs> this is such a treat. I've talked to you like three times in like a week lately. It's, it's a bit like very rare for us like to actually be on a call. I know. I Not love sending it. like twenty memos. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like you should move to the UK. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> do not start. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, you have been on the show twice before, once uh, on episode 95, uh, which was in July 21. Is that is that how long we've been friends now? Is it July 21? Is that Yeah, we... I think so. Because I, I reached out to you, um, I think, at the beginning of July 2021, when Alera Phones was going to come out. And I was like, please be my friend. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, it was like friend soulmate at first sight. Like, that's actually what happened. <laughs> yeah, it was good. That and that first call, I think we were on the phone for like three hours or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I know. It was like unheard of as well because yeah, I I I was just like, yeah, let's jump on a call. Like that is so you know that is so not me. And I was just like, yeah, yeah and it's it. so not me either. I'm like, oh my god, a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> but that it worked. It, it worked. did, it did, exactly. And then the second time you were on the show was episode 153, which was a year ago. Mm-hmm. So so that was August 2022, and it is now uh, or nearly the end of August 23. So, like, tell everyone what you've been up to in that last year. Right. So, firstly, that feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, 
honestly I don't know what is going on but yeah that it feels like a very very long time ago um I suppose the major change for me has been I pivoted into a new subgenre so I went from epic young adult fantasy to adult romantic fantasy and fantasy romance and I also yeah obviously changed audiences from YA to adult um so I've published three books in that genre um and that has been a massive massive change for me in the last like in 2023 in particular it's really like shifted everything for me um I have also written and published my second non-fiction book which is how to launch a successful series and I suppose most importantly I met you in person for the first time <laughs> this year and I jumped on you and like like wouldn't let you go in the train station (laughs) (laughs) and I proceeded to feed you many cocktails oh my god god. (laughs) you lit do you know the lovely thing we can tell this story now so um when we were together in London we were in uh, some cocktail bar in Soho and that was the day that I got the offer for um Mm -hmm. audio and so it was really nice like not to be on my own and there's this like horrendous video that your fiance <laughs> took of me like flapping my hands like crazy in woman. the street yeah, <laughs> in the street shouting down the phone to like my mum and my wife to explain that I've been offered on audio so yeah that was that was uh that was a fun day I wish we had had longer but anyway that's not what we're here to gossip about we <laughs> are here to talk about launching a successful series so you have done three now, haven't you? That's right, three series. Three three fiction, I suppose if you want to count the non-fiction as well, that's sort of like a more ongoing, slow thing. But yeah, three fiction. And you are in the background planning a fourth. So let's talk about lessons learned. That's like my favourite topic. What, mm. and I want to come at it from two different angles. Like what is the biggest craft lesson you've learned about launching a successful series? And what's the biggest business lesson that you've learned about you know launching a successful series so I think the the craft one is something you and I have both learned like massively in the last year or so which is that the marketing actually starts in the craft (laughs) itself you know everyone's just turned off can't help it like every time I get asked a craft question I'm like "Mm, marketing in the craft (laughs) Um, I mean, you you talk about that a lot in Anatomy of a Bestseller, mm-hmm. and that is pretty much my sort of go-to thing for when you're, like, planning and doing anything sort of foundational with a series is to bake that marketing in. And I know, like, it's a craft question, but for me, craft has really become linked with marketing because baking that marketing into the story itself, into the characters from the get-go, when it comes to launching, it makes it so much easier, like being able to pick out tropes, being able to identify your target audience, all of that stuff you really need to be able to do from the get-go when you're writing. And so then when it comes to launching, you've got a blueprint for all the people you're targeting and how you're going to target them and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's a craft question but it's sort of like a marketing answer um and then in terms of business um one of the lessons I've learned is how profitable launching a series can be but also that no two launches are the same and to not make assumptions about potential success 
Um, so I think, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on your podcast before, but, you know, my first series did incredibly well straight out the gate and I didn't really understand. And I think in part that was because I didn't have a community of authors. I didn't have many author friends um, and I wasn't as like entrenched in the indie community as I am now, but I went into my second series thinking that the success of that first series was just going to be stamped onto the the second and that wasn't the case. So then when I've launched other series, it's all about like managing your expectations, um, which was a huge lesson business-wise and just generally for me um, when it comes to launching a series. Yeah, because you are what I would classify as a lightning bolt when it comes to your first series. Like, I don't I, I genuinely think you are the only author that I know who was a who earned enough from their first book to quit their day job. Like, I don't mm. actually think I know anybody else who has done that. Um, and so that definitely marks you as a lightning bolt. But obviously, you know, you've mentioned not having a community means you didn't almost bake. I didn't it. know. You didn't know. Yeah, exactly. I so didn't, you didn't know that was rare. I thought, I thought I wrote a book. It did well. Cool. You just, you go on to the next one, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I did, I really, I was very um, like in my own little bubble in terms of what to expect and all of that. And it really wasn't until the end of my second series and I had that data to analyze that I then realized how rare that first series was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that was a particularly hard lesson to learn, to be fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, hopefully it actually sticks in my brain this time around. Well, I think what makes you even rarer is, is like, let's, let's compare it to like somebody winning the lottery, right? Somebody wins the lottery. There's some stupid stat, like 90% of lottery winners are bankrupt after like three years or five years or whatever it is. Don't quote me on this because it's, that's probably (laughs) the incorrect stat, but it is, it's a crazy statistic like that. Um, and it's because they don't have like the financial knowledge and they don't have like the systems in place to invest and make the money grow. And thankfully, like, you were able to like put those business systems in place. Um, you know, you learned the lessons with the second series in order to make the third, third and fourth series. Wait, what series are we on? Wait, you, no, the, the um, I'm current, yeah. currently on the on the third <laughs> fiction series. Yeah. Um, so the second one, it, like, it's not like it flopped. Like, it was still like a respectable. You know, it, I would certainly. It was certainly difficult throughout that second series financially. Um, but I definitely then took the lessons learned from one and two into three. Yeah. And then have, you know, that's done quite well. So yeah, it's, and it's been so a bumpy road. <laughs> talk a little bit more detail about what baking the marketing in, in terms of craft looks like for you when you are trying to launch a series, like how do you do that? What do you look for? Like, where do you start? Yeah, so I start um, with my genre. So I knew, let's let's just talk about the third series so we're not getting confused. But so that's the one I've done most recently. Um, and I did the marketing very intentionally in the craft. So that looked like coming up with, you know, 30 comp titles, reading those 30 comp titles, reading the reviews of those comp titles, looking at the common tropes, looking at, what readers were loving about those books, what readers were hating about those books, 
then looking at what the authors of those books were doing in terms of their marketing, um, how the series was structured as well, because that's a big thing for me, um, you know, how the romance was threaded throughout the series, what techniques they were using to keep the romance fresh if it was, you know, more than a standalone, you know, if it was three books, how do you how do you carry a romance that far? Um, all those sorts of things. And it was, I had a spreadsheet that had the list of comp titles, that had the list of tropes, that had everything under the sun that I could think of. And I analysed those books as well. When I was reading them, I analysed what I liked, what I didn't like. And, you know, especially on a Kindle, you can see like popular highlighted passages and, um, you know, what people are really engaging with um, and then looking on the social media platforms and stuff and seeing what people are posting about. That's where it sort of started. And then I took all that information and tried to work out, A, what suited me and what didn't, because if I didn't like something, I wasn't going to put it in the book. And if I didn't like a particular marketing method, I wasn't going to do it. Um but so figuring out what I did and didn't like, what could and couldn't work for me, my personality type, my style, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then it was literally about planning the series, outlining the books, layering all that stuff into the books, into the story, into the character. And like I said, it honestly, when it came to then planning the launches, it made it so much easier because I already knew who I was targeting, like which influencers had liked these comp titles and raved about them. Out of the comp titles, I had a list of ASINs that were already there ready for my Amazon ads. Um, tropes makes social media so much easier to create content for. Whereas my previous two series, they did well and everything, but I find them really hard to talk about. Um, whereas Legends of Thesma, so much easier to talk about. And I don't know if it's because it's, you know, romance is easier to talk about and fangirl over or whatever, um, but I think it's the tropes and it's very easily easy to identify yeah. what people are loving and engaging with about a series. It's definitely the tropes because for, mm. for multiple reasons. The first reason is a trope is a um, universal, uh, understandable concept and yep it like and stakes and it's even like you know maverick detective what that tells you so much already you know like or um uh um bad mentor you know like we can all think of Hamish or whatever like as a bad mentor like i can't yeah. remember, you know but so the, the tropes make it easy but also they identify key scenes in a book that people yes. would want to read, which you can then talk about, which is like another yeah. reason why knowing the tropes before you go in. Um, and I don't really understand why people hate on tropes, but they're like the easiest thing to uh, communicate. It's the language that readers speak. And I don't understand why mm -hmm. we're so resistant to including tropes when they are the things that like give that sense of familiarity that readers go for so anyway i'm gonna yeah. get off my soapbox <laughs> um what are some mistakes that you see newer authors making when it comes to launching a series um so i've already mentioned one which i made myself which is not managing expectations um like i said i did that very much with my second series and it was quite a painful lesson to learn um so definitely not managing expectations in terms of the level of success that you're going to get um, or how it's going to be received. Um, Did you ever consider not finishing that series? 
No. Okay. <laughs> no, I like if I, I, I think also with uh, Curse of the Siren Queen, like I'm probably dr- dramatizing it. it. It didn't bomb, but it, it just wasn't what I wanted. And it really did affect like my mental health and how I felt about my writing and all of that after having done so well for this one to not have done well. Um, I know which strength for me, Sorry, we'll talk about that <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> um, but then is it consistency wanting to finish and discipline wanting to finish? Probably, yeah. But but it was the sig that was hurt. Like, you know that, right? Mm. Like, yeah, it was yeah, the sig that was hurt. Yeah. Because the same, I had the same thing. Like, obviously, I knew that Trey was never going to sell because... One, I hadn't, one, I didn't know how to, I still don't know how to fucking explain that series. But two, um, you know, there'd been a four year gap. I hadn't continued to build the audience. I'd made all of the mistakes. I didn't know how to finish the series. I mean, I did, I had two different endings. And, but anyway, the point is like, oh God, it was, it was, (sighs) I still finished it. And I always think about, should I have just left it? Should I have just quit? and moved to the next thing quicker like part of me thinks that I should have because then I wouldn't have wasted four years of writing time but I don't know but like then then you've learned the lesson of completing a series like and now you've gone into an, yeah. the next stage of your career where you're writing series albeit you're writing interconnected standalones but I maybe the fact that you have finished a series a gives you confidence to know that you can finish a series yeah and you learn a shit ton of lessons yeah, between yeah. book one and book three of uh keepers so yeah I, yeah, I definitely yeah. that that is what pushed me to finish it was the learner and to like finish this mm-hmm. finish for that reason yes and all the interconnected stuff anyway let's I just interrupted <laughs> you uh mistakes that you're no, no. sorry <laughs> right um yeah so a second one would be and and this is actually, I think you taught me this, um, like tracking your production data. So like how long it takes you to write a book, to edit a book, to do all that stuff. And my reason for doing that is to then being able to make informed decisions about your release schedule, what you're capable of, how many books are you going to be releasing this year, how staggered should they be, um, all that sort of stuff. Because, like, if you don't know your own production rate, you don't know your own processes. And that's not like you learn it once. It's an ongoing thing. It changes throughout your career. Um, But keeping track of that kind of stuff, particularly if you want to be, like, a career author, like, if you're happy doing hobby writing or if you just want to do one book a year or however, whatever your goals are, it all depends on your goals, right? Um, But if you're hoping to either become a part-time or a full-time author, I think you've got to think about the business side in terms of tracking that data and understanding what you're capable of in order to then go, okay, we're we're planning the launch of a series. How many books am I launching in this time frame? What's realistic? All that sort of stuff. So I think like a lot of us, and I I must've done this with my first series. Like I just started writing, (laughs) finished the book, published the book, then did the next one then did the next one. I didn't really have, I knew back then I would do one book a year because that was all I knew really. Um, And that has then changed over the course of time, but I've been able to change it because I started tracking my word counts in whatever amount of time I started. And not just that, when am I most productive in the morning or the afternoon? What, what is my environment like? All that sort of stuff plays like a massive 
role in understanding how you work best and then how you can optimize that. And all of that then leads into how you plan the launch of your series because you can't say, oh, I'm going to publish four books this year without the data to say that you can actually, you know, pull that off. Um, and then the final one I think would be discounting books too soon. Um, so I've seen this a lot. People will launch the first book in their series and then, you know, a month later discount it to 99 cents or free without having the next book even up for pre-order, kind of like pissing the readers off who did buy it at full price. Um, and by doing that, like particularly when they don't have the second book out or even up for pre-order, you're just sort of, um, you're not benefiting from having that loss leader. And so that's, I see, like people just get excited or maybe the book isn't selling as well as they wanted to. So then they discount it too soon. And I think you're much better off waiting until you at least have something to bring that reader through into the funnel further before you discount it. So yeah, those are a couple. Absolutely. I really agree on the production schedule. And I do think it's something that becomes like a business system. It's like you look at a lot of entrepreneurs and they know what products they're releasing. Like, let's say it's not books, but let's say they're in some kind of product business. They know what products are coming this year. They know what's coming next year. But like you say, if we if we don't have that business brain on our writing, but it, but like, like you said, it is the difference between somebody who's just doing this for fun and on the side versus mm-hmm. somebody who wants to be able to do this as a full-time um, gig, because then you do have to, it, it does, it does become a business. This is so like topical for me right now, because of the transition that I'm going through from, mm-hmm. you know, having done 30 to 60 hours of freelance a month down to like, you know, a handful of hours every quarter or, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being, but it's dramatically less. And, and, and I'm having to relook at my time and relook at like this. And like you were saying, like things do change. Yeah. Not only does the amount of time it takes you to write a book change depending on what that book is you know you get an average you get consistent um but the amount of time necessarily that you have sometimes you have a a kid who needs you sometimes you have other commitments in life or whatever and other times you have huge amounts of time dropped on your lap so yeah like it's that this is why the data is so important and um but I'm just obsessed with with tracking (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean that I I did I tracked my word count and all that sort of stuff I've been doing that for years but it's really been in the last like year or so when you and I have like our planning um sort of sessions and we basically plot out the entire year of production that having that data has been so so powerful and yeah it does change and also like what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks when you're planning a new series Mm. you need more prep time than you would for the third or fourth book in that series and it's really only through experience through tracking this sort of stuff that then you're able to plot that out and understand what you're going to be capable of that year. And it's just really interesting. Like I love this stuff, the the whole planning and strategizing and all that, you know, I'm a mad nerd for that. So. (laughs) No, absolutely. And like, I've really learned the importance of all those tasks that are really vital for getting words, but feel frivolous. And like, Mm -hmm. I now have a checklist. It's literally here, but you can't, 
but for listeners, they can't see it. But this bit of paper is my track, my tracking list of all of the activities that I have to do before I start a new series that are like, you know, the mood boards or deciding the character's strengths or their wounds or all that kind of shit. But like, it's actually mm-hmm. important. And if we don't, like, I want to track what ones I do and which ones get slipped off the list and stuff so I can be more efficient for the, for the next series. Anyway, let's talk about street teams. Um, otherwise, I'm going to go off on a tangent. And this is the danger of interviewing a work wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could be here for three hours. <laughs> Longest episode ever. Um, street teams. I, I've got a part A and a part B for you. So the part A is... Let's say we've got a newer author. How can they find people to be on their street team? And the part B is once they've found them, what do we do? What does B what does having a street team look like? Like how does a street team boost your launch? Yeah, so this is it's a funny one because it's really only been in the last year. So my most recent series that I've really utilized a street team to my advantage. I had completely forgotten that I did have a street team for Heart of Mist. It was like a Facebook group. I had like 16 people in there and it came to this year and I think it was Jenna Marissi said to to me, oh, what, what's your street team like? I'm like, I've never had a street team. Um, and then it was it was a reader of mine that was like, oh, I was in your street team six years ago. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, so I'd completely forgotten about that and it's, it's evolved massively from – back then that was just a Facebook group and it had 16 people in it, half of whom were just my friends. Um, <laughs> but what, what I've done now. And so it's, it's, it's tricky because obviously now I'm a lot further on into my career, how I did it this time. I did a call out on social media and a call out to my newsletter list. Obviously their existing platforms. So it's not, I'm not starting from scratch. Um, and I directed them to fill out a Google form and that was very much um, quite particular on what I was after. So, um, you know, have they reviewed the previous book in the series, for example? Give me a link. What are your social platforms? What's the last book you read? Um, like things like that to sort of weed out anyone who might just be there to get a free book or, you know, whatever. Um the thing that I did that I think really helped and could potentially help a newer author is at the end of that form, I gave them a shareable link and said, share it with your bookish friends, bring like bring anybody to this party, you know, the more the merrier. And particularly in my genre and particularly, you know, on Bookstagram and stuff, there are like little um, little groups within the community who all read the same book, who are all talking about the same thing. And and they, I think, shared that link with people and said, oh, come on this street team with me. We'll read this book together. We'll be part of this community. Um, and I found that quite powerful. So it's it's difficult with, like, say it's your first book and you're, you're a brand-new author. I would potentially join some Facebook groups within your genre, within your subgenre, and try and do some call-outs. I would try and connect with other authors, that sort of thing. Um, But also, like, going back to managing your expectations, if this is your first book and you don't have a platform, you need to be a little bit more realistic. Like, you're not going to have a street team of 100 people. Maybe your street team is seven people and you just build on it year by year, you know. Um, So, yeah, there's no, like, sort of 
fast way to build like an incredible, powerful street team. You've got to start small and build from there. But using a Google form and sharing that round, I found very, very effective. Um, and then part B, what do you do once you've got your street team? Um, so I run my street team through Discord. I find for me personally, I like having multiple channels. Um, I think things get seen a lot um, more easily rather than just like a Facebook group or something. I like being able to c categorize things. Um, so I invite people to join the discord if you don't have a discord like you can't join that i'm not going to try and run a street team on multiple different platforms it's just through discord um you sound and... really focused about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> for listeners helen is number one focus <laughs> um yes thanks <laughs> um so and now now you've broken my focus so i don't know what i was saying <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. My street team, I run it. So I've done it three times now. And each time I've done it for different periods of time, the first time was five weeks, second time was three weeks. And now I've opted for four weeks. And I suspect four weeks for me will be the sweet spot. Five weeks, it felt like it dragged out a little bit. Um, but anyway, so over whatever week period, I do a challenge a week. And basically, I encourage people to complete the challenge. So it might be create a reel about the book, um, post a review about the book, create a trope graphic about the book, um, recommend the book to a friend. And they'll have a couple of different challenges each week. And they can screenshot when they've participated in that challenge, post it in the group. And then at the end of that particular week, everybody gets put in a drawer to win a particular prize. Um, so that's uh, the weekly thing that's that's ongoing. And then I have an ongoing challenge, which at the end of the entire promotional period, everybody then gets put into a draw to win something. And the ongoing thing is, you know, in, they're encouraged to share their reaction of the book while they read it on social media. They're encouraged to post about it in, um, you know, Facebook reader groups, that sort of stuff. And I try – I. <laughs> not to boast, but I've been told my street team is very organized and very efficiently run. <laughs> and I think that's because I give them everything they need to create that content. So I have a channel in Discord called Media Materials, and that has the media kit. It has graphics. It has high-res high cover images that they can take any of that stuff and make their own content with it. So it's about making it as easy as possible for them to create content about the book. Um, and then I suppose most of all myself and my assistant who helps me run it now, cause it's getting a little bit, um, a little bit bigger is just to have fun in the group. So there's like a spoiler chat. There's a place where they can ask me questions. My assistant does a great job of posting like discussion questions throughout the period. So like, you know, what do you think of this character? What do you think of this scene? Um, and I've really found that that community has fostered like, a really fun environment for people and with each release I've had more and more people tell their friends about being part of the street team and being a part of that community um so yeah that's in a nutshell like it's it's a lot of work to set up but now that I've done it three times like I've got all the content to post in the different channels um I know roughly how it works um 
And yeah, it, it ends up being quite a lot of fun. And I suppose the other benefit is that you almost get like live market research while it's taking place. So you see people's live reactions to certain scenes, to certain characters, and particularly with um, the first book in my series, that actually helped um, shape my outline of the second book in the series. Like I wasn't going to have particular characters come back but people loved certain characters so much that then I gave them more screen time in book two. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a really cool experience and it, it definitely elevated my previous launches, um, seeing the buzz on social media that the street team created. So it's been really cool. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, going to come back and re-listen to this and write loads of notes. <laughs> um, and... well, there's a, there's a whole chapter on it in, um, I know. I what's think I highlighted. Book, what's my book called? Yeah, I know your book. <laughs> How to launch a successful series. It's right. That's I'm here. Right. I'm a professional. <laughs> yeah. So there's like there's a whole um there's a whole chapter on this particular subject in that book, and it has the challenges that I use, um like the templates, all that sort of stuff. So um, yes. <clears throat> I need to I need to order a physical copy because I'm pretty sure that the beta copy that I read. <laughs> was half highlighting for me and half highlighting to give comments yes. <laughs> <laughs> um what was I gonna say yeah I think I'm I think I really I, I'm not necessarily gonna do this for book three in in the series because you know it's I'm already at the end but 100% I'm gonna have to do this for, for the, the new first, one yeah for the new series like for sure yeah okay you have changed your style of launching a little bit of late in that you are doing more outreach to um, help boost your launch. So what does that look like? We know it's expensive. So like, is it worth the time and the financial investment? <laughs> Why do you think that? How do you do it? Tell us all your dirty secrets. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I always did some form of outreach for every launch. I've always done it, but it's def definitely <clears throat> changed from Oromir to Thesmar. Like it used to be all about book blogs and doing guest posts and all that kind of stuff. And what I realized, particularly going into Legends of Thesmar and having done all that market research that I'd never done before, was that it was a lot about print outreach. So sending copies to influencers. Um, <clears throat> trying to do a more print orientated like book tour and things like that um <clears throat> so it has been very time consuming it's been very expensive ultimately it's been worth it for me um how I sort of went about it was like we were talking about doing that market research at the beginning when I came across influencers who were reviewing and raving about comp titles of mine. I had a spreadsheet and I put their details down. And then when it came time to plan the launch for Blood and Steel and then the subsequent books in the series, I had a list of people that I knew would potentially like my book because it was similar to XYZ. And so I reached out to them. Um, I did it all myself at the beginning, I've since got my assistant to do some here and there. It's difficult because I think a lot of the time the influencers appreciate the direct contact with the author. So it's hard then to get someone else to do it on your behalf. Like, and you do spend a lot of time building up relationships with people. So I'm hesitant to hand off certain things now to my assistant because I've got a personal connection with people. Um, but basically I created the spreadsheet 
and I had a particular criteria. So, you know, do they have over 10,000 followers? Are their posts highly engaged with, um, you know, what are they like generally? Like there's some, some influencers do things like roasts. I was like immediately, no, if I saw a roast of my book, I wouldn't be overly motivated. I don't think <clears throat> so. Yeah. Basically if they were highly engaged with comp titles and then I pitched to them. So I have a media kit that I create with every book and um, basically asked if they'd like a copy. And I found that it helped hugely with the, the word of mouth and it, it became like very, very powerful and far more effective than me just posting about my book on TikTok. Like I'm not very good at that. So it, it definitely lends itself a lot more credibility having other people who in the community are known for talking about this particular genre and these particular comp titles talking about my book. So that's that's how I did it. And you're right, it was expensive, but for me, it was worth it. Were you? Do you, so you were? It was expensive because you were you were sending hardbacks and you write fucking massive books. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, at, at the beginning, because I didn't know how the series was going to go. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just send a paperback. And that was a mistake. In my genre, I should be sending hardcovers. And what I'm finding now that I'm at, you know, book two, three in the series, those influencers who originally like raved about the book have the paperback, but now they want the hardcover. And so there's been a couple of influencers who I originally sent a paperback, who then I've gone back to and said, do you want the hardcover? And then you can have the whole hardcover matching series. Um, it's rare that people prefer the paperbacks unless they're like annotating or um or something like that. Um but yeah, it, it was it was very expensive. And at the beginning I was quite uh hesitant to spend that money, hence the trying to cut corners with the paperbacks. Um but yeah, expensive but but worth it for me. But again, it's hard to measure it because it's not like you get a sales report from someone's, you know, TikTok that had 8,000 views, you don't know how many people went and bought the book. But I think the exposure just sort of compounds over time. And yeah. I've had a lot of people say, I, I found your book on TikTok or I found your book on Instagram. So mm -hmm. it was definitely worth it in the end. But it is hard to make that call at the beginning, not knowing how it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Ah, you just yeah I'm sighing because I'm like no I think this is I think I'm probably gonna have to do this for the next series <laughs> I don't wanna um I, I I agree it's been it's been very powerful um but I suppose you've just got to be really particular about who you offer that opportunity to because you know the the longer it's gone on I have found there are some people who will happily accept the hardcover and it costs me like 40 bucks to send it and then you never hear from them again. So I've just poured 40 bucks down the drain. So that's that's difficult when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Strategic pre-orders. Talk to me about them. What is it? What does it look like? How do you do it? How do you not fuck it up? <laughs> <laughs> um, so in um, How to Launch a Successful Series, I talk about pre-order chaining. And I wouldn't say that, I came up with that. That's, I think, Nicholas Eric, um, that's that's his term. So I borrowed that from him. But basically, it's very simple. When you launch the current book, at the back of that book, you have a link to the next book in the series that's up for pre-order. Um, and, yeah, 
it comes, so your book, the content of your book finishes, you don't have a chapter break or anything like that. It's literally the end of book, whatever, book one, link to pre, pre-order for book two. And particularly if you're strategic about the content of your series itself, like you end on a cliffhanger or an open loop, it's so much easier to capture that hot lead um, and get that sale straight away. And I found that really effective. I only I only have the next book in the series up for pre-order. I certainly don't, you know, have book one live, book two pre-order, book three pre-order, or anything like that. It's just the next one. And I find that, A, captures a hot lead right away, particularly if you've ended the book on a cliff, but also it kind of reassures the, the reader that that next book is coming. You know, there's not going to be a 10-year wait for the next book in the series. Um, you don't necessarily need to commit to a hard deadline. So what I do, and I know you do this too, is you have the pre-order up, but the date you, you put it further out than you really intend. Um, and that can help, you know, if any life stuff comes up or anything goes wrong, you know, you're not up against this really hard deadline. And then as you move closer and closer toward the release of that book, you can bring the date forward. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's sort of how how I do it. And then, you know, I can potentially use something like a pre-order incentive to then drive people to to click pre-order straight away. Yeah. And the only reason that we can do that is because we track our word counts. And so we know how long it's 100%. going to take us to finish that book. So, for example, I know it takes me um like three three if there's no life interruptions it's about three weeks to draft a book but um you know it's between 12 and 16 writing sessions or you know if anyway that that's not the important bit the important bit is I know that I have put my pre-order up for I think it's the end of January um but I know that actually the likelihood is I will be releasing it this year relatively soon because the minute that you finish I finish the draft I know it takes me like one to two weeks to edit it goes to the editor you you know and then it's it's more or less ready to rock and roll so you once you have that data you can let's let's just say hypothetically speaking I was going to release it at the end of October then you know you know that you can put on another three months to that so that you look pretty fucking wicked when you pull your pre-order up by like four months or whatever you know uh so this exactly is and that's that's like a marketing tactic in itself like do you yeah. want this book early and then you get a response and you do that and it levels up the excitement I've done that with uh, Curse of the Siren Queen brought the the last book in the series forward by three four months when I'd always really intended to do that but you just anything's content right like you just <laughs> hype it up that way <laughs> yeah under promise over deliver always exactly exactly um okay let's talk about some of the challenges that authors face when oh no wait I wanted to ask you one other question when you come to the end of Thesmar series are you going to have a pre-order link in the back of book, whatever it is, for the first book in the new series? Oh, you put me on the spot with that I one. Know, I um, know. Asking for a friend. The friend is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Um, so, I mean, as you know, next year for me, I've got a potential international move on on the cards. And is so I think... <laughs> no. <laughs> 
<laughs> just paid 10 grand for an Australian <laughs> partnership visa. So no. <laughs> um, I wish. I wish. Though imagine, maybe we wouldn't get anything done if we actually lived closer together. <laughs> yeah, we'd just become like old hag alcoholics in London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'd be long. that day, that day we had in May, it'd be that all the all time. Day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know um, mine. But anyway, go on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I don't even know what I asked you anymore. Uh, pre-order for the first book That's in the it. new series at That's the back it. of the end of the previous series. Yeah. That that really depends. And I think normally you've, you've kind of got two things to think about. Like do you want a longer pre-order capture any hot sales at the end of that series and people are, you know, thirsting for more of your particular brand or do you want a shorter pre-order or a live launch and try and rank it's the whole rank or bank thing really I think for me what I've sort of realized is that particularly with series in my genre it can be a bit of a slower burn so for example Blood and Steel came out in February we're now in August and I'm I'm now seeing August and July have been my two best months ever and it's all Blood and Steel but it's sort of taken that slower burn through from February to now for it to really gain the traction. And the the graph has just been a steadily like increasing, you know, line. So is it, is it worth like just capturing those hot sales at the end of the last series for the new series? I, I don't know. I think for me, it will depend on the move and how much I want to schedule things and, you know, where things fall because you just can't really predict how that's going to go. Um, ordinarily, I think I would I would potentially say yes for my previous experience, like my current experience, but it, it just depends on like what's best for each author and what they've got going on. And, you know, maybe you don't want to announce it however far in advance, maybe you're not ready to, um, or maybe you are aiming to, to hit particular ranks and stuff. Depends on your goals. We always come back to that, don't we? Yeah, we do. It's really difficult because, like, you know that I've buried three very visible lines connecting one series to mm-hmm. the to the other, even though it's that's a good point as well. Yeah. So part How of you me, baked that in. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, and I'm doing it intentionally. So part mm-hmm. of me is like, oh, it'd be stupid not to to do that. And then the other part of me is like, no, write a reader magnet for it and capture everybody on the mailing list. But then I'm like, are oh, less people good? Anyway, this is probably not one for the podcast, but maybe this is this one. This is probably we, a yeah. call for us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or maybe everyone's really interested. I don't know. Us like nattering strategy. Anyway. Yeah. Um, what, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So my question, next question is, what are some of the challenges authors face when launching a series? Mm, so I think overwhelm is a massive one. So, you know, it's it's hard enough to to plan and launch one book, but to try and strategically think about all the moving parts for not just the one book, but book two, book three, however many books you've got. Um, I think it can be a lot to take on and it can potentially make you just go, Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not going to do any of this stuff because it's just too much. Um, So that's, that's one. I think also losing motivation for the following books in the series, if the first book doesn't do as well. And that's a tricky one because not all series you know, hit it off on the first book. It could be three books in that then it spikes and then it all goes crazy, you know. So losing that motivation 
from the first book and not having that sort of energy to keep pushing, keep pushing at book three, four. Um, for me, another one personally is comparisonitis. So like worrying, I'm not doing enough when I look at what everybody else is doing um, and wanting to do all the things. That's that's really tough. Um, but yeah, it's a hard question because we all find different things challenging. What I find super challenging, someone else will breeze through and vice versa. Um, but I would say overwhelm and losing motivation and serious fatigue, that sort of stuff is definitely, that can definitely be a challenge. So you don't rapid release, you've never rapid released, and yet you've done really, really well. And often we hear um, big names saying, oh, you know, the only way to make money is to rapid release. So what do you do to maintain momentum between releases? Yeah, so it's funny, like, I don't, I, I certainly don't rapid release, but currently I feel like I'm rapid releasing for me. Like I'll have had four books out this year, whereas I started on one, but then next year I'll go down to three, I think. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not rapid releasing in the way that we think of, you know, a book a month sort of thing. Um, How many did you do last year? Three, but it okay. was two fiction and one nonfiction. And the nonfiction for me is significantly shorter. It's like half the size of yeah. um, one of my fantasy books. Yeah. So that that all depends as well. And also next next year, for example, I'm planning to just do straight through one series rather than, you know, launching the first book in a series, then doing a standalone, then doing the second book, then doing a nonfiction. That's driven me mad. Um, <laughs> anyway, getting off topic. Um, but, yeah, between books in the series to maintain the momentum. Um, I very much utilize my newsletter. So I'm always communicating with my readers about what to expect and when I email about twice a month and I'm at the stage where I've got enough to talk about that. Even with twice a month, my newsletters are quite long. Um, on social media, I post art, teaser quotes of the next book, behind the scenes content. If I'm at the start of a series, I'll share a reader magnet that usually acts as a prequel to the main series. And that's pretty much what you said um, just before bringing people in that way. If I'm in the middle of a series, what I've done in recent times is I do a warm reader magnet, which is basically for me anyway, it's a bonus alternate point of view scene. And it's usually a steamy scene um, that readers are really keen to get the flip side perspective of. Where do you put that? Are you putting that um, in the back of the book as the second link? Because obviously you're putting the pre-order link as the first mm -hmm, link, right? Mm -hmm. So is that what you do? The second link is the... is the Yeah, so first is the pre-order. Second is the, do you want this steamy scene from Wilder's point of view? Grab it here. But I also send that to my main mailing list and say, if you've read this book and you're hoping for, um, you know, just some extra stuff here, read this. Um I've, I've also been quite strategic in when I did the standalone fantasy romance, I wrote that as a prequel to the main series. So if people are between main books in the series, I've got things to point them to, you know, oh, if, if you're missing Thesma, if you're missing this character, if you want a bit more, go to this prequel, go to this bonus scene, um, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Um, so in, that's that's generally how I try and maintain the momentum. It's all like all, you're always talking about it. You're always updating readers on where you're at, and they I find that they really love the behind the scenes stuff. Um, 
more recently I've run giveaways with other authors. So exposing other authors, audiences to the first book in the series to try and capture people into that first book and then into my own sales funnel. Um, in the lead up to a launch, whether it's the first book, third, whatever in the series, there's a lot of like counting down. There's a lot of teaser content, um, a lot of um, taking the tropes, taking, you know, those um, really addictive quotes from the book and creating graphics and stuff with them. Um, and then all the while I'm doing all that, I'm also potentially doing sales in my backlist. So even though my previous two series are YA fantasy, they're set in the same megaverse, I suppose, and there's breadcrumbs. Again, this is where you bake stuff in in the craft that then benefits you with the marketing later. There's breadcrumbs from Heart of Mist that's in Thesma. There's little pieces, and it's not like super complicated it's not like a plot point but it might be a magical creature it might be a form of magic it might be a reference to a place from another book and so then when you are doing these you know 99 cent free sales from you know books that you published six years ago you can be like they're set in the same megaverse they have certain links and that is rewarding to the reader that when they go back and read heart of mist or a layer of bones that there's certain familiar elements from Thesma that they will recognize in those books. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff, but it's, you know, kind of all woven through and yeah, that's, that's generally sort of how I maintain momentum throughout the series. One of the things that you talked about in the challenges that we face is overwhelm. And I, I just, you know, I have definitely experienced that. I'm sure most listeners have experienced that. So what are some of the ways that we can streamline the production of our series in order to reduce that overwhelm? Yeah, so I think the big learning curve for me with that has come down to tracking how I work, like what we've talked about, optimizing that to the best of my ability and then experimenting. Like once you're done, you're not done. You've still got it like there are things you can learn, play with, trial and error. Um, so everybody will be different in that regard. And, you know, learning about yourself can help streamline your writing, your marketing and how you pull everything together. And something that I have done in the more, in more recent, like basically this year, I created a launch blueprint um, and we did that exercise together and having, you know, this spreadsheet that had, launch tasks, launch um, newsletter content, launch social media content all in the one place has really helped streamline that. And, it, and it's from production and it's straight through to the launch and it's post-launch. And then for every launch that I have, I make a copy of that blueprint and apply it to the current book. Have I done all these tasks? And within that blueprint, it links to templates. It links to emails I've written in the past or social media posts that I've published in the past and I can use everything as a template. So it's not like you you um, are preparing for a launch and you go, right, where do I start? You've done this before. You can take that blueprint. And so while a newer author might not have that, they can start to build that with every launch, with every book that they write and optimise it with each time. And hopefully by the time you're, you're fourth, fourth, fourth or fifth book in, you've got a pretty good template of what works for you and you can apply it to both your production and your marketing and your launch strategies. 
Yeah. And and the point is, is well, you can hand it to somebody else. So if you get to Mm -hmm. a point where you can have a VA, you already have all of the template and and the caption, the social media captions, all the ideas for the types of social media posts. And then you can just Mm -hmm. hand it off to somebody else who can who can fill it all in. Um, So I love that. And it's um, almost like I was this year's old when I learned to do that. (laughs) <laughs> same yeah right it's what like, was oh, like my my fifth or sixth year writing full-time oh maybe I should do a blueprint yeah <laughs> what we like honestly okay well this is the rebel author podcast so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel <laughs> I struggle so much with this question I, I sent really, you a memo last night and I'm like I don't know what to say I really hope <laughs> it's an illegal story that's all I'm saying no, I, I opted for no illegal Aww. stories. And now that you've said that, this Come is on. gonna be so, so <laughs> underwhelming. Um it's illegal. You don't want bloody proof of it, do you? Um Yeah, so it's <laughs> I, I actually had to go back and listen to the previous two to make sure I wasn't repeating the same story. So this is gonna be super lame. It's not it's not um very exciting at all. But I I kind of have been thinking about it since you sent the questions through. And I realized that the main person I need to rebel against is myself and all (laughs) the sort of like rules and structures and all that sort of stuff that I put in place. Um, And recently, the most recent one is, you know, I've always thought I... I, I always want to be liked. I always want to make people happy. Like I am a people pleaser. I hate conflict, as you know. Um all that sort of stuff. And in the last like couple of months, the increase that I have got in my emails, in my private messages for people just demanding stuff from me, from people being rude, from people like, you know, just, just wanting stuff from me without knowing me or anything like that. And it's maybe going to sound a bit mean, but I don't really care. I have just started deleting them. I'm, oh God, I'm not. I love it. I like you know, whereas previously I, I want you to like me, I want you to, uh, you know, think I'm a nice person. So I would spend half an hour replying to someone who messages me and says, how do I launch my book or how do I publish my book? And now it's it's just really started to grate on me. And I just now I hit delete in the private messages. I hit delete in my inbox and it feels good. And but previous Helen would have tried to make all everybody happy and to try and, you know, be the nice person who helps everybody out. I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> I, I honestly think it's a sanity saver. Like the amount mm. of I sometimes get people dear, can you read my query letter? No. Do I look like a fucking I can read your query letter? Like, no, I can't <laughs> read your query letter. Um uh, but yeah, like there is only so much time in life. And I really feel like I am learning this lesson more and more in the last couple of weeks that words are the priority. And mm-hmm that has so many consequences for me even down to not like massacring myself at the gym because Mm -hmm. you know I want to be the best at the gym I can't I can't if I want to be the best at writing or if I want to get the (laughs) best books out right like I have to prioritize the words and so you can't be throwing up in the corner somewhere (laughs) yeah but even like my Instagram like normally I would never go to sleep without having replied to everything and cleared my Instagram. Like I've got like nine fucking DMs at the minute. 
It's just like, mm-hmm. and, and it's just because I'm prioritizing the words and those other things have to come second. They must come secondary to that when you want to, um, you know, have this as a, as a full-time business. And that's not to say I won't get back to everybody. I will get back to everybody, but I'm, I'm not getting back to everybody on their timeline and getting back yep. to them on my timeline now. And that feels very different and it feels like scary at first because you know like I do want to please and I do want to make people happy and all the the rest of it but actually um you know I got way too close to burnout not that I'm using the the b word I was got very (laughs) close to exhaustion and uh so I can't I just can't I just have to you know we we all have to you have to draw a line somewhere yeah yeah Yeah, and that's sorry that's that's no no that's I mean that's exactly the same for me and I I found also I was getting almost like hurt or frustrated when people would ask me questions that they can just google or you know buy a book for $4.99 and answer it themselves and it shows me particularly sometimes in this industry you're already not willing to do the work Mm -hmm. why should I spend half an hour of my time writing to this and not even a polite email asking me something. It's just like, Hey, how do you do this? And it's like, Hey, fuck off. Like <laughs> I, okay. That's definitely I, rebellion. <laughs> it feels like it, like, yeah. you know, oh, what, when's the last time you unre- unleashed your inner rebel? It's when I deleted this email. <laughs> yeah. So boring, but like, it feels rebellious when I do it. So yeah. It's a sad story, but that's mine this time. (laughs) No, I love it. Okay, tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, and anything else that you would like to add. Um, So if you're interested in my fiction, um, it's just Helen Scheurer on Amazon. All my books are are there and all my fiction is in Kindle Unlimited. Um, And also helenscheurer.com is where prequels and all that sort of free stuff is. Um, if you're interested in my nonfiction, I write under Helen B. Scheurer for nonfiction. And I think for how to launch a successful series, I have a bonus bundle where, you know, you get a media kit template, a all my outreach marketing templates, that sort of stuff. And now I can't remember the link for that, so I will have to give that to you. <laughs> it will be in the, the show notes. notes. Yeah, it will be in the yeah. show notes anyway. Nobody remembers the links anyway, so, yeah, I'll just I'll send that to you. But, yeah, you can um, download a bunch of stuff, like, and pretty much all the stuff we've talked about, like emailing people, pictures and, and whatnot. Yeah, I've got a bunch. Amazing. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's patrons and all of the show's listeners. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Helen Scheurer, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Ines Johnson all about how to write four books a year successfully. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.